Credit needs no money. It needs no barter. It needs no commodity. It needs no intermediary. Credit actually needs nothing, and it can work. And that is actually the thing that has allowed civil civilization to grow well in excess of money. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today, we have the first of two interviews I recorded with my boy, Matthew Majinski. Now, Matthew listened to my recent show with Jess Snyder and wanted to get into some of the things we discussed in that show regarding the euro dollar, but also get into some of the topics that he really cares about, base money and money printing. But next week, we will follow that up with part two, where Matthew gets into the Russia-Ukraine conflict. He also listened to another show of mine, the one with Scott Horton, and he was very critical of Scott's interpretation of events. It was a pretty passionate interview. So Matthew doesn't hold back. Check that one out next week as well. Anyway, onto the show. If you've got any questions, feel free to drop me an email. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Peter. Ready for this? Ready. Right. So um, onto the subject of money. Um, I made a show recently with Jeff Snyder, which was interesting because he made me think about some things I hadn't thought about before. Um, a lot of people enjoyed the show. Some people criticized the show. I did a follow-up with uh, Lynn Alden, where we got into some of the topics that uh, uh, we discussed. Um, we discussed, and um, but you also want to talk about this. <laughs> did you? So you listened to the show? I did. Yeah. I did, yes. Okay. So. Um, a lot of people like Jeff, and uh, bringing up the euro dollar was something like I've heard of, mm. but never even, you know, I've not got into it. I'm not money, I'm not a finance guy like you. Go. I just ask people questions about it. Can, um, you, can you give me a definition? Of right the euro dollar? Yeah. Well, i tell you what the euro dollar, what I thought it was, because I've heard about it. Like, I've heard it in reference on the news and stuff. When people talked about the euro dollar, in my head, I was like, oh, is that just like, is that just like the, the exchange rate? And is that exchange rate used for a purpose or something? Um, now, based on my conversation with Jeff, the euro dollar seems to me just like a made-up money. <laughs> a group a group of people have made up a money, and they get to use it and inflate it as they choose. It just feel, that to me, that's what I got out of it with Jeff. But you tell me. Yeah, so we can definitely be much more specific than that. Please. And I, uh, I thought it was funny. Like I know this is. I like Jeff. I like him a lot. I yeah. listen to his show. I know this is kind of a shtick to make it seem like. You know, we got to drill down on some of these things, but also some of the conventional definitions might not be correct. But I thought it was just kind of funny because in your show, I heard two types of, I told this to Danny as well before the show, like this sort of repeated twice this theme. You were like, so what is money? And he was like, I don't know. Nobody <laughs> and then, does. And then you're like, so what is the Euro dollars? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I get it. I understand it, uh, why he's saying those things. And it's, there's, there's some complexity there. But they're actually, this is one of the things I like to do uh, on my show and with the research that I've done, which we talked about it actually last time I was on your show yep. a few years ago, um, this basic money research, um, which, which we'll talk about here. But basically... Uh, the euro dollar is a, so there, there are definitions to money, very specific definitions yep. to money, tried and true and tested. And there's a very specific definition to the euro dollar. So um, I guess we can start with the euro dollar, but let's not go into that. Let's go into money first. But so the euro dollar is very simply any bank that offers a dollar denominated deposit to anyone. And that bank is outside the jurisdiction of the Federal Reserve. Oh, so I actually have euro dollars. 
Yeah, if you if if you have dollars in your bank account and your bank is not in the United States or it's not a foreign branch of a United States bank, you have a euro dollar. Yeah, so my business account, uh, I found out <laughs> quite by mistake that I have a dollar account uh, because uh, one of my sponsors, I, I you know my sponsors are one of them in America. Uh, it appears that some are paying me in pounds, but some are paying me in dollars. But I didn't know both were happening. I, obviously, the decision their end is whether it comes into my account as pounds and dollars. Yeah. But one of, one of the sponsors said they'd pay, and I was like, "You haven't paid." I'm like looking at my account. You've not. They're like, "I've paid," and I was like, "I'm telling you, you've not paid." So I ended up phoning up the bank, and they're like, "Oh no, it's in your dollar account." I was like, "What?" So it turns out I had a dollar account. It was sat there. By the way, which uh, with the pound crashing against the dollar was a good decision. I didn't find it, <laughs> but I didn't realize. So they were, those are euro dollars. Yeah, and there is such a thing called euro sterling. Uh, the euro is a confusing term. It, it yeah. happened uh, basically post-World War II uh, around the Marshall Plan. A lot of it was when Europe was being rebuilt after World War II, primarily Western Europe. Uh, a lot of these... Uh, people that were involved, contractors and whatnot, they actually figured out it was better to get dollars, you know, it's a stronger currency back then uh, against most currencies. So uh, that's why it started to be called a euro dollar. But they basically, it was dollars that were worked and transacted throughout the economy, through trade, through Europe, but they were not inside of Federal Reserve banks or US-based banks. So that's a euro dollar. But there's also euro sterling, which it's confusing because you might, you know, obviously Britain is in Europe, kind of, kind of after Brexit, right? But um, uh, it, it's basically a foreign denominated currency. So sterling would be any uh, any quid, any sterling that. Well, I guess quid is cash, isn't it? Right? It'd be any sterling, uh, sterling denominated deposit that you held outside of a UK official bank governed by the Bank of England. So that's what it means. But I would say even before, like, let's definitely do Euro dollars. Are they Euro Euros? Yeah, Euro Euros. There are Euro Euros, <laughs> which is so, I was, I was actually going to say that, I forgot already, but uh, there are Euro Euros uh, as well. And the Panama Papers uh, yeah. revealed a lot of that, the Paradise Papers, Panama Papers. Um, but I think more interesting and what I think is, is important to talk to you about with some of this stuff is Backing up from that, and this is what I try to do on the show as well, and make a distinction between some of this stuff. And more talk about money. I know it's a very basic thing. Bitcoiners do it all the time. We like to philosophize about it. But uh, there is as well a very tried and true definition of money, which we should make sure we, uh, we understand. So money is an economic good that is a generally accepted medium of exchange. That is the definition of money. These other terms, the, the two main characteristics, store value, and unit of account, they actually fall away when we talk about what money is. They, they are there, but they're not as interesting. The X factor, the X factor of money is it's a generally accepted medium of exchange. That is money. Now, uh, one of the uh, misconceptions about money, when we talk about like, um, there's ones that all sorts of economic schools use, which has never really been proven out. David Graeber is the one who, he had this debt theory of money. Uh, he's since passed away, but he had this thing called the credit theory of money. Um, he, uh, he, he was a chartalist. He basically had, uh, had the idea that money was always sort of whatever the state defined it as for taxes, legal tender, whatever. Um, but anything else is just credit. And we'll talk about credit in a second. But this idea, and you, have, you hear the Austrians use it a lot, many economists use it. It's like this sort of theoretical idea that we had economies where we are 
trading with barter. And then barter, we have this double coincidence once where barter becomes too difficult. And so then we settle on something that, that is money because barter is just too, it's, it's, it's cumbersome, right? Like I have two cows, you know, you have one pig, whatever. How do we, how do we um, value that in exchange? So, so we, we find this thing called money that, that evolves. It's actually less true than most, uh, most would have you believe. And this is where I want to get to credit because credit is always going to be throughout this, this uh, discussion and it always is, is in the Bitcoin discussion as well. Uh, money, the generally accepted medium of exchange, is an entirely distinct concept from credit. They definitely do overlap or they can overlap, but then you have to define your terms on which, what are the things that overlap and what doesn't. One of the things that I find interesting is a lot of Austrians, uh, they like Mises and Hayek and Rothbard. These are very hard money economists. They like gold. Gold is absolutely money in the history of man and civilization. Um, but uh, credit came way before. Credit is this always and everywhere phenomenon. Uh, there's a book which a lot of Austrians don't even know, Sidney Homer's The History of Interest Rates. I highly recommend it. If you really want to get into it, he goes into this stuff. Covers interest rates back to like Mesopotamia and, you know, Assyria and all of these just ancient, ancient lands, you know, ancient Israel, um, all of these, Egypt, all of these different uh, epochs. And it's a very, very interesting book. But he makes the point, which is very important, is that credit needs no money. It needs no barter. It needs no commodity. It needs no intermediary. Credit actually needs nothing and it can work. And you might wonder like, how can that happen? Well, my typical example when I'm giving like talks about this or uh, lectures and on podcasts a lot, like you just think of like two cavemen in the most primitive of societies. One says, I'll make the fire today. You make the fire tomorrow, right? Like very simple, but we can, we can, immediately get something that we want today by involving ourselves in a credit transaction, right? We, we, we are borrowing, uh, you know, someone else's time today. If you don't want to spend the time making the fire today, like you make the fire today, I'll make it tomorrow, right? And that's what credit is. And that is actually the thing that has allowed civil, civilization to grow well in excess of money. Credit is, is, it's within us. It's like a promise. It's always there. I know it's kind of cliche. We talk about this a lot at Bitcoin or whatever, but you have to understand that credit is way, way, way deeper in our, like, it's just in, in humanity and in society than money. Okay. So money really comes into play only in two situations. All right. And money, and this is now talking about base money, which I focus on and I'll uh, so it's kind of the opposite of what Jeff focuses on is the euro dollar. But base money, uh, there were sort of two situations where that arose. And the reason why you would need that is because basically uh, hum civilization was progressing. There was, as things progress, we need something a little bit more than primitive credit. And primitive credit, what's a sign of that is basically we all know each other. We know each other. We can hold each other accountable to it. We can make good on it. And this goes down to families even, right? Like, I mean, talking about, you know, relationships among siblings. I mean, how often can we think about that from the childhood? Like, you made a deal. I'll do, I'll do the dishes today. You know, I'll do the dishes for a week if I can do this one thing, right? Like, it, it, it really is, like, so fundamental to the way that we get what we want and the way we kind of scale ourselves at a primitive level. But why would we need money at a non-primitive level as society grows? 
two reasons. The first is Nick Zabo has done a lot of diligent work on was it's kind of as a dowry. It's just passing wealth on from one generation to the next. And shells were a big, uh, a big part of that. So cowrie shells in Africa, wampum in North America, it's the quahog uh, um, is, is the name of that special, uh, special town in uh, our, favorite, our favorite show. But um, so, so the quahog, wampum, these things, they actually kind of made it as money. Um, and they, they were used, gold and silver were also used during these ancient times, but shells were much more prevalent and that allowed, it was, you know, whether they're for ornamental reasons or people started to, it became a generally accepted medium of exchange where you could go outside of your tribe, outside, you could be a little bit more advanced, you go outside of your community and it might still be accepted as some value, you stored some value. And move. So it is the store value function, but that's not the interesting. The interesting thing is it's generally accepted. That's, that's still the X factor with money. It's, it's always the X factor is it's a generally accepted medium of exchange. And people forget those two words, generally accepted. They just think medium exchange, you know, dollar, whatever this, it's the reason. There's a very precise reason why generally accepted medium exchange is used. And so the dowry is one reason. Nick, Nick Zalber writes very, very well on this. Done a lot of good research, original research on this. And then the second one is which pretty much, uh, of course, gold and silver were used before this as money, but it showed the prowess on the world stage, i.e. being a generally accepted medium of exchange, gold and silver, also copper, bronze alloys, uh, and almost shells. Shells didn't quite make it, like they did around the Horn of Africa for traders and stuff, and they did in wampum in the United States, around different parts of the United States. Um, the reason that you would need it is if you were a trader, and you were going from one community to the next. And you're basically, you're going off the next morning. You're never gonna see these people again. That's why you need money. You, you, you can still do this double coincidence of wants, you can barter and all the rest, but it's more, more important than uh, being some sort of effective medium exchange. It's, it's important that you can take it away and when, where you take it, it will also be a generally accepted medium of exchange. So that's where gold and silver really started to shine in the medieval periods, the Renaissance periods, particularly the Renaissance, where you, know, you could be a East Indian spice trader or West Indian rum trader. And wherever you're going back after the season ends, you're going back to Europe, you know that that gold and silver is good. And Spanish obviously knew that that silver was good when they were plundering South, South America. And, you know, this war has been fought over gold and silver and all the rest. So there's two reasons. One is like the dowry, the family heirloom, passing it on through the generations. And the second one is fucking off after you do the deal and you know, you know that where you take that money, it's going to be good. So those, that's, those are the, the traditional needs for a medium exchange. And that's why gold and silver have arose. And then this also, the Austrians call it commodity money. But what it is economically, which is another term we can talk about, and you can ask questions at this point, I guess, but uh, that's called base money or basic money or the monetary base. Uh, and we can, that's, I've done a lot of research on that. So why do you think Jeff says there is no definition for money? I think it's, I, I mean, honestly, I think he was, I think he, know, he knows the definitions, but I think he was just probably just being a bit cheeky. And I mean, you have to ask him, right? But um, my it, view was, he was. Sorry, I was going to yeah. say, is it also because other things can behave like money in the economy? So, um, 
Yes, I think that's a reason. That's a reason why he said that. But I would really, really like, I really try to stick to the, the simple definitions and push them home a lot in my research. And a lot of people don't do that. They're, you're not rigorous on this generally accepted part. Mm-hmm. And um, for example, your, one of your favorite Bitcoin economists wrote a book about Bitcoin standard. And he, he's not one of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I uh, heard yeah. that in another show. Mm-hmm. Um, in his example, he wrote, and again, whether he, this is the kind of thing economists do, like to try to show maybe some chops or some research, whatever. I don't have a problem with the guy, but uh, the, he, he said in my research, the island of Yap, the Yappies uh, stones, the rye stones, or something that's the closest that thing that's resembled Bitcoin. We know the story, right? They, it was kind of like sometimes you would scribble on uh, who owned the stone and maybe even a big transaction scribble on the stone and you didn't even need to move the stones at some point. It was just announced in society that the stones were like kind of the ledger of the wealth and hence, you know, that's why it's somewhat a Bitcoin. That's way, way too simplistic of a definition. Firstly, because it never fits the definition of a generally accepted medium exchange. Just because it works on YAP means nothing. Mm-hmm. It means nothing. And this Irish... American guy who came, O'Neill or O'Keefe, I can't remember. There was a guy that came in, basically inflated the market with yap stones that he produced more cheaply than they were doing in the Polynesian islands. And he inflated the market in, in order to, you know, reap some wealth, reap some arbitrage and some seniorage. Uh, he destroyed their money. You can't destroy your money with some, a yap stone produced in San Francisco or whatever, wherever he was doing it and still call it money. It's not money. What that was, was just as I talked about before, it was a primitive credit system in a primitive society that just because you you have an object and you write something on it like doesn't mean that it's money it was not a generally accepted medium exchange never had been never will be yap stones not money they're yep not money. It's, done it's a primitive it's a primitive credit system so that's that's really important so now skip all that let's go to the, mo- the euro dollar okay yeah. skip all the history let's say the modern equivalents let's say of those things actually is the euro dollar, but there's a, there's a term for this too, which again, want to be rigorous. You have base money, which is the commodity money as the Austrians say, gold, silver, seashells almost, cowrie shells almost. They didn't quite make it. They, did, they certainly didn't last. We know that like even their ornamental and like, people collect shells, like that's not going to work, right? But gold and silver will hold a value in the market, so it still works. Gold and silver, Bitcoin is a, a part of this base money, by the way, like a UTXO, it's a digital-based money. doesn't matter that it's not physical. It's a digital-based money. You think it's there it. now? Would you say it's a generally accepted? It's, as I call it, I say in my research, a possible future-based money. Okay. Possible Get, getting future. close. Yeah, very, very close. Is very it worth close. just defining what is like the monetary base right now? Sure. Well, it, it, let's, uh, so as with everything, it's always a bit complicated when we talk about the fiat system because the... Uh, the central banks kind of do tricks that we could, we, none of us could do because they have the, the power of the, uh, of the Congress, the law, legal tender, all the rest. So we can't, uh, central bank-based money is slightly different, but I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, let, let's, let's do it. So, so but first, <laughs> I'm going to get there, just one more sidebar, okay? So uh, we have base money, gold, silver, Bitcoin is digital-based money. And now let's bring it forward to we have modern societies. Remember how I told you credit was there in the past. It's always going to be there. It's never going away. Credit is never, ever going away. It's within us. Okay. It's a promise. Um, 
The economic term for money that is not based money, but is still based money today, is called fiduciary media. That is the term. It's never used in Bitcoin. A lot of people just might not never know heard it. it. You ever heard it? No. Nope. Fiduciary media. Okay. okay. And one of my uh, like it. Uh, 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 economist I really enjoy reading, George Selgin. He was the first guest on a podcast. I very much encourage you know your listeners to check out our first episode we did many years ago with him. We went through all these steps, just make sure I understood it, the assets, liabilities, whatever. Uh, the term is fiduciary media. So the euro dollar is a subset of fiduciary media. What is fiduciary media? It's basically money that is issued by a fiduciary. It's issued by something like a bank. So it could be a European bank, American bank, whatever. And it trades like money. It's denominated in the same thing like money, whether that be ounces of gold, tons of gold in former days, right? When we're back to talking about like trading, right? And we had to settle deals. And you're in, like I said, the East Indies, you're going back to London. Whether it be in ounces of gold or whether it be in, uh, in the pound the pound sterling, which was originally sterling silver, and then it went to gold, and then it was nothing. But now the pound itself has become this sort of uh, unit of account. And so fiduciaries can issue uh, money. It trades like money. It is money. It's a generally accepted medium of exchange, but it's issued by fiduciary, by a centralized third party to use Bitcoin speak. So that's fiduciary media. And uh, the euro dollar is a subset of fiduciary media. Any bank account, anytime you have an account, it's fiduciary media. So deposit account, savings account, time deposit account, you, you talked about you have a euro dollar account, all fiduciary media. So the distinction is base money is something that is an asset first, a commodity. We can see it. We don't necessarily have to touch it, but we can see it. We know that it's there. We can verify it. You can assay it in the case of gold and silver versus everything else, which is fiduciary media. It is issued by a third party. Both are money, and both have always been money. And also, to, br to bring it back to the credit discussion, all fiduciary media is a form of credit, but not all credit is fiduciary media. All fiduciary media is a form of credit. It's, a, it's an, as, as uh, Jeff was saying to you, a ledger-based transaction. Sure. Assets and liabilities that happen all through... That's happened since you know, the Merchants of Venice times, double entry accounting, all that stuff. Uh, that's fiduciary media. And that trades like money today, fiduciary media. And the, 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 the main achievements, let's say, the, and it's a bit, you know, the conspiratorial view, but a lot of people know that there was no quorum when the Federal Reserve was passed and everything else. But the achievement, let's say, of the international bankers, if we're going to be very, very disingenuous to them, which I think they, you know, I'm not about defending bankers at all, uh, unless it's in the case of free, free banking, which are unencumbered by central banks. But sort of this achievement now is we have central banks all around the world, which have kind of taken over this role of both being the main conduit of base money. And also when they issue their base money, fiduciaries have to link back and settle in finality with them as a central bank. Every bank, your bank, every bank in Britain has an account. It's called a master account in the United States. They have an account with the central bank. So in Britain, with the Bank of England, they all have an account, the master account. And you, you take all the fiduciary media, which is everything, PayPal, Venmo, checks, 
How is the checks market here in Britain? People still use them or not really? Yeah. Now. Yeah, I mean, still I working some, in the US. I've, but. Got, I've got a checkbook. I haven't written a check in years. Yeah. Um, I received a check recently, and um, my bank doesn't even accept Big it. Big fee to cash yeah. it. Maybe not even accept no, it. No, they don't, they don't accept it because I'm I'm with a, a bank that doesn't have a high street branch. Wow. It's so like it's, I would have to post it to them. They so just checks are even losing status. as uh, That's fiduciary media, lo- losing status as yeah. money. The, the company because it's not generally accepted. Well, it was a, um, it was a dividend for shares. So that what they do is you know, they yeah. just issue everyone a check. I had to phone them up and say, I can't, my bank doesn't accept checks. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we'll have to uh, you know, do a direct bank transfer. Yeah. I've got a feeling I had to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably did. Oh, it's, I, I remember in the Baltic banks in Eastern Europe, like they, they went digital right after Soviet Union. Like, so they never had any checks. And to cash a check was like 10 euros. <laughs> no, I think this one was <laughs> the reverse. Cash. I think they pay, I had to pay to not have a check, strangely enough. Oh. Because their process is like, They've got, well, I don't know how many people who own shares, but say it's thousands, tens of thousands yeah. of people. They, the easiest thing is just to, I assume they just have a machine that just you know, mail merges and prints out the checks. Mm. And I had to go and say, I had to, I'm sure I had to do it. I tried to pay like 12 pounds or something. Yeah. Motherfuckers. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's always confusing. Economists love, I mean, Bitcoin, Twitter, this is, the, this is what it's all about, right? Is what is money? What is the unit account? Whatever. Money is always and everywhere generally accepted medium exchange. That is the X factor. It can be a store of value. It can be a bad store of value in the case of current fiat money. Oh, I didn't, I didn't maybe finish the bow. So central banks, which, you know, the Fed, Bank of Canada was formed in the 1930s, one kind of the last major countries to succumb to a central bank. They had a very free banking history, which is very interesting, which George Selden writes a lot about, which I really like, which is banking systems that were free of a central bank. But unfortunately, even though I like those systems and probably like them less than George, even though George has written a lot about Bitcoin too. Um, they don't, they've shown to not work. They've shown to succumb to the state intervention. So now every state has a central bank. So now on a central bank ledger balance sheet, the old fiduciary media, that is the banknotes. So, you know, in Scotland, there's still different banknotes from different banks, like with different colors, different pictures, Right there, of course, it's now that it's all pound sterling denominated, right? But what's, they're what's, they're pain in the ass as well. The what? The different colors or what? No, um, if you have a Scottish uh, Scottish banknote, yeah, right, and like, and you're trying to use it in the UK, some people just don't want to accept. Really? It. Wow! So yeah. even fiat, I did not know that. I don't know that. So yeah, even don't fiat, people are funny about it. I think I think it's more that they think you've, they're being ripped off. They don't know yeah. it's real because yeah. you don't see them that much yeah. in the UK or yeah. in England. So, so that's very interesting. It's it rapidly. We're rapidly digitizing here. Yeah. And uh, no, but that's been the case. That's been the case because you have them in North. You have Northern like Welsh. The Welsh don't. Yeah. But they have Nor- Northern, Northern Ireland Northern, and Scottish, yeah, Scottish pounds. But I, I think that, I think the Scottish twenty pound notes only worth like nineteen pounds, isn't it? That true? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> It's a black market for it. And the, yeah, but it's a down market. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm taking the piss, Daddy. Yeah, you don't I have to look it up. Fuck it. <laughs> so, so this is the uh, this is the interesting uh, thing is that these central banks have sort of corralled uh, this s- section of fiduciary media, which was banknotes. Banknotes. This has happened in the United States in the post Civil War era, and even before the post Civil War era. Um, we had the continental, which that was a central, central issued currency of the colonial times, but um, different banks would issue different notes and they actually worked quite well. Like in Canada and, and Sweden and Scotland in particular, you could be all across the country and unlike today, 
Uh, you could go from one branch to another branch all the way across the country. You face no discount as far as from par if you wanted to ask for gold with that note. No discount at all, face value. Whereas in the United States, which was a very, you couldn't branch in the United States, it was a very bad, they didn't have a central bank in the 1800s, but you couldn't branch. So one state bank, you could have a dollar, uh, a dollar from, you know, Fifth Third Bank in, in Ohio and take it to somewhere in South Carolina, you would face a discount uh, if you tried to like deposit that and say, get withdrawal specie as it is called, but the, the bullion, the gold, if you wanted to withdraw, you, you'd, you'd face these sort of uh, arbitrages, let's say. Because the- Because there was no branching. And so the, the systems, they didn't necessarily, they, like, all right, I gotta, I gotta take your note now. Yeah. I gotta give you the gold. I gotta hold on and wait. And then I gotta go back and like wait for my other liabilities with you because, and this is what the argument that they use for central banking is everybody just needs this clear with one central bank every day and then that's how that money works. But, that, but all that, the word for all that is fiduciary media. It's a fiduciary. You can have checks, bills of credit was called uh, in, in uh, the industrial, uh, industrial Revolution of Britain. They had actually uh, three metals. It was tri-metal system. They had gold, silver, and copper, like a bronze alloy. Uh, but they also had a ton of fiduciary media. Like people still didn't want the coin, just like today, they didn't want the coins, they prefer the bills. And um, it'd be better if you had a bank that had a bill that it was accepted at many places, or at least it was familiar. And you could take it around to different merchants and you could either pay for it, or you could take it to a bank in another, uh, your own branch in another place, deposit it and know that like that deposit's gonna work when you go back home. So notice, by the way, you can travel with, with fiduciary media always. And that only works in like advanced societies where fiduciary media, fiduciary media only works in this way as we, as we advance. And it's interesting that you kind of, the thing that I told you was important for traveling originally, which was base money. Now we're so advanced and also so monopolized because there's only central banks anymore. We don't actually have a need for gold and silver as base money anymore. This show is brought to you by Cake Wallet. Now, Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both my security and privacy because it doesn't share my important information with unnecessary third parties. With Cake Wallet, not only can I hodl Bitcoin, but I can easily pay privately with Monero. Cake Wallet is accelerating Bitcoin adoption, since they now support buying gift cards instantly with Bitcoin, which can be used at over 150,000 merchants in the US. You can easily purchase the exact amount you need at the register and have the gift card appear instantly within Cake Wallet without needing to wait for any confirmations. And you also get to save an average 2% on purchases. And Cake Pay only requires an email, nothing else. To check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and reached out to me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and now they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. If you are looking for a banking provider that understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com 
forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, we have Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I'm a customer of Compass 2, and I am back mining Bitcoin, and I've been mining for nearly a year now, and I've mined over 0.75 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. Now, anyone can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass have launched the Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors such as price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you're interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Also today, we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm still only buying, right? We're hodlers. The market's looking good. We're not sellers. And I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. So would, would you say gold is even money anymore because when you say generally accepted, I don't know anyone who yeah. would accept gold as payment. Well, the problem there as well is is it's legal tender to yeah. only use the other stuff. If the legal tender wasn't there, which is a world we're never going to see, right? Because governments love to control the purse. If there was a, if, if the legal tender did not exist, I can't tell you for sure, you wouldn't have gold as money. I would say as, Bitcoin is now more generally accepted as payment than gold. I, I agree which, with you. When you but actually Bitcoin is also, as Friedrich Hayek says, in a, in a roundabout way, it's getting around the state regulation. Yeah. But that's quite interesting. We got to a point where, you know, Bitcoin's uh, market value might not have reached that of gold, but um, its utility, yeah. in, as as money, yeah. is definitely surpassed gold. Yeah. Um, and and as a digital commodity, it clearly makes sense. It yeah. clearly makes sense today that we're going digital. We don't need paper at all. Um, yes. <laughs> Mr. Schiff, yeah. are you fucking listening? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that, so, that's, that's the idea. So in the euro-dollar system, um, do we know, uh, like, what percentage of dollars are held in non-US accounts versus no. US accounts? We don't know. So uh, it's too opaque. The, as uh, Bill Browder, actually, who we've talked about, we'll, yeah. we'll speak about in another show, uh, he... Um, he, he said in his book, because he deals with a lot of these cross-border flows with Russia and wherever, he says that if there's a dollar transaction, it theoretically hits the New York Fed at some place because there's a correspondent bank that's going to keep track of the dollars and that, that correspondent bank will report back to the U.S. But that's only the transaction, right? The transaction, as far as the value, right? Like think Panama Papers, Paradise Papers. Yeah. As far as banks that are willing to open up like, hey, mate, you want a you dollar-based account? I'm a bank in the Caymans. Sure. You can have it. Like, as far as the value, that's very opaque. That's no one knows. And that hasn't been known for decades, for decades. So maybe the transactions, I don't know this for sure, but maybe theoretically the transactions do, once you actually make a payment, a wire, uh, swift, you can do euro based uh, 
SEPAs, or sorry, dollar-based SEPAs as well. But once you uh, make the SEPA or the wire, the SWIFT, whatever, theoretically, this transaction value makes its way back to the New York Fed. But the full value of that account, there's no way that, that they know at all about that. And they haven't known that for decades. Like, you could just be some billionaire in, in the south of France who wanted to open up a dollar-based account in the 60s. No way they would know that. Mm. Uh, now it's like 20, the Paradise and Panama Papers, I'm already forgetting. It's probably close to 30 trillion now was in the value. I think it's like ongoing, some of these leaks and stuff, but it's like 20 trillion a while back, you know, many years back now, like 20 trillion. And of course, not all of those were Euro dollars. This could have been like stocks, bonds. I didn't do the full research, right? But $20 trillion of value was estimated to be in those accounts of Panama and Paradise mm. Papers type leaks. Most of those are probably Euro dollars, dollar-based deposits. Uh, that were held by banks. Uh, how, how much, this is where I get into the air, so I, I really don't understand, but how much of the, the dollars in the euro dollar system, could they, they're, they're large parts that could actually not actually exist. They're just balances that exist somewhere, but the, the none liability... Of it, none of it exists. This well, is where no, I'm going to well, sound exactly okay. like Snyder. So, none of it exists. None of it exists, but yeah. what I'm saying is is that the, the, the liabilities can be met, but is it, there a scenario where actually like lots of it's just fake, it doesn't exist? Define, define as you like, want to. Um, so, as you want to know, what would it mean? It doesn't exist. Like if there was a run on the euro dollar, sure, what would happen? That's any bank, any bank for sure. sure. And this is the fractional reserve banking thing. And again, so like is people that, like is, to run with these arguments. Like, it's not, it's not a, it shouldn't be a crime that anybody can start a bank, start an institution that works like a bank, and open up an account for anybody. Okay, and the reason that we know that this works is for something that's not related to any of this, and that is the gift card market. Okay, so Amazon, they, you, got, you can get scammed the hell out of some gift cards uh, by some Indians uh, calling you <laughs> in the UK or the US. They love Amazon gift cards there in India, all right? It works, it's kind of a generally accepted medium exchange in India. It absolutely works. Amazon gift cards, Google gift cards, all the rest. Uh, you can scam people or they can be legitimate. You can go back and claim. And what is backing those, what, what does it mean to exist? It exists if Amazon legitimately issued it as the fiduciary of the media that they issued. The media was the gift card. They are the fiduciary. And if you can go back later and use it and spend with it and buy real stuff with it, i.e. what Sergey is doing at BitRefill, then it is some form of money. So gift cards do that. There's a company in Canada. I think it's called Canada Tire, Canadian Tire. Our Canadian listeners can inform us here. Um, my understanding in the 80s and 90s is that th they had real cash as a form. It's, it was points. It was points basically for shopping at their, they were like a massive Walmart Canadian version. They, it was not just tires. It's like they had everything. And my understanding is in the 80s and 90s in Canada, you could just take those Canada tire bucks and go anywhere with it. And, and the Bank of Canada like just let it work because it was a gift card, right? And, but people really liked it. People collected it. It was a generally accepted medium exchange. Okay. Canada's different than YAPs. Sure, those Canada tire uh, things would never work in the U.S. south of the border. They've never worked in the U.K. But in Canada, my understanding was that was a generally accepted medium of exchange. That's private issued money. And this is also how Sergey is, uh, is, is scaling Bitcoin with BitRefill. Like 90%, I believe, of his you know, business is gift card. Uh, you know, purchasing gift cards with crypto all you're doing is scaling up crypto with fiduciary media. You're putting the crypto aside, 
You're buying fiduciary media, which is the gift cards, and you're buying real stuff. It's a great way to scale. It doesn't, doesn't involve Lightning, although they accept Lightning now, which is great. Lightning's awesome. We can talk about that, the economic implications of that as well. But it's just, there's a word for all of this. It's not Eurodollar. There's a, there's a word that trumps it. It's fiduciary media, and it is everything. It's a gift card. Uh, you're like, uh, there's these economists since the days of Paul Volcker at the U.S. Fed, they had these M1, M2, M3 classifications. Uh, very boring for most people that want, like, don't follow this at all. But if I asked you what uh, bucket uh, of money, M1, M2, M3, would your, uh, your bank deposit account be in? Would you know? Uh, no, I would guess it would be M2. M1. Is M1. So any demand deposit, and this is always the X factor for Austrians that love full reserve banking. They argue the fractional reserve banking is a fraud, which is not the case. It's just banking. Uh, your demand Let's get back onto that because I'm, I'm sure. going to ask you sure, about sure, that. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Your demand deposit account is part of M1. Also, what's part of M1 is M0, which is the uh, notes that the central bank issues. So M, uh, the notes plus demand deposits M1. Uh, and that's like kind of the most liquid we think of the most like transactional based currency. M2, this, it varies by country out there. They all have different definitions. Um, but M2 is, uh, is uh, typically retail-based savings accounts and retail-based time deposit accounts and retail-based money market mutual funds. M3 is typically the institutional value of such. So institutional-based savings accounts, time deposit accounts with lots of money, earning lots of interest and institutional-based money market accounts, plus repurchase agreements, plus Euro dollars. The Fed stopped counting M3 in 2006. So I think it's, it's I always find it funny as like, people say like, oh, well, let's just use M2, it's the most liquid value of money. First of all, M3 is absolutely still there. No one knows what it was. The Fed knew that they were in for trouble. And it's ironic because probably Euro dollars and repurchase agreements were a huge part of the financial crisis in 2008 which all has to do with basically the credit, uh, the, credits, the credit boom and bust that happened from artificially low interest rates. Before that, the Fed itself created. But um, yeah, that's all part of M3. Now, let's even go further with this. That's all fiduciary media. It doesn't matter. This is an, it's an account. Yeah, so this is, um, this is a, an attempt to create M3. If you look at the source, Danny, if you go down, yep. oh, OECD. That's uh, OECD still does produce this. So you see, it's, it goes into today, but it, it does not. It's just a bad thing. It's right. not the euro dollar is probably it's at least 30 trillion because um, the Fed still produces some things that are part of M3. Uh, and then some people have said the euro dollar, including the euro dollar uh, balances, you could be like 100 trillion. I have no idea. Uh, my, my guess is it's more than 30 trillion, less than 100 trillion, I don't know, 50 trillion. So, I, I just don't know. So, one thing that Jeff Snyder believes is that um, the Eurodoll system is what is sort of driving the economy. Like, it's the main yeah. driver. Is that something you agree with? Like, the Fed isn't influential. Yeah. No, no, because there's too many things there that I think that he's ignoring when he says, like, a central bank. I get it, again, it's like kind of being a little cheeky. You say central bank doesn't know anything about money. Central bank doesn't know what money is. Mm. It's just not true. I mean, the central bank is the largest player in the economy. They have 30 to 40% of government debt that they own with their base money. Because again, this is the thing, I'm not sure I drove home. What was yesterday's fiduciary media, right? Banknotes, like cash. 
bank bills that came from banks. It all got monopolized and went from only a few central banks. What was yesterday's fiduciary media in the fiat world today is now today's monetary base. So I haven't defined, to your question before, I didn't define what the monetary base was today in the fiat world. It's all the cash and coin that we, that everybody knows or hates uh, today, cash and coin, plus this thing called the reserve balances, which is like that master account that I mentioned that every bank has with central bank. Those two things together, the monetary base. That's a huge number. So this is the thing that I calculate. I've calculated now for about four years and I've gone through 50 central bank balance sheets to do this. So it's a very pedantic exercise. And I did it because I thought too many people were just I, I'm not I'm not singling out Jeff Snyder here because I do like his work, but too many people that just talk about money or that we can't quantify, we don't know what it is, or the Fed prints all the time. They're not paying attention to the important thing, which is the monetary base. Yes, the monetary base right now is declining a little bit after the COVID uh, stimulus. It's about 5.6 trillion in the US, but globally it's 28 trillion. And it is would be higher except for the dollar's gaining strength. This is Wittgenstein's ruler now. We're trying to measure money across many currencies. There's no North Star. There's no gold. I can't like, I mean, well, I could price it in gold, but that people wouldn't understand that. So the only thing they understand is dollars, roughly, because every central bank has a dollar-based account. They have dollar-based exchange rates. I take black market rates for certain banks, certain central banks, uh, because I don't trust their published rate. Put all that together, it's about 30 trillion. It's now down to $28 trillion because the dollar is so strong. Between Q1 and Q2, it went from 30 trillion to 20 trillion. It's been 30 trillion for a long time. But that doesn't mean that the printing is slowing down. Uh, in fact, the printing is um, compounded globally since 1970, on average, blended, meaning it's a very, very specific. I'm not just throwing a number out there. I'm looking at every rate of euro upon euro pound upon pound, yen upon yen, the actual in the native currency. All right. So it's a very, very detailed rate, shameless self-plug. You won't find it anywhere else, but porkopolis.io, that's the name of my, uh, my economics uh, concern the website there. You uh, spell that out so people understand. Porkopolis, P-O-R-K-O-P-O-L-I-S. Okay. Did I say dot com, dot io. Um, And it is... 12.9% compounded, which is a doubling, it's a doubling in units less than every six years, which is a massive number. Mm -hmm. Now the Euro dollar is massive too. I mean, you, so you see 30 trillion, this is where Bitcoiners get excited. They're like, okay, 30 trillion, cool, but let's look at the Euro dollars, like could be a hundred trillion. That's what Bitcoin's gonna take. It might, or we might see that we have, you know, Lightning Network, uh, we might have uh, something like BitRefill, where we have other fiduciary media that comes on, many other forms of money that you didn't expect might take some of that value. And we still have credit, like all that uh, credit, all of that fiduciary media is still a part of credit. And all of these things are still increasing. So uh, there's no, there's just no, it's too hard to say that like, Bitcoin's going to take like 100% of that or 50% or whatever, the more important thing is that Bitcoin for sure is analogous to this thing called the monetary base, and that's $30 uh, trillion. So within the Bitcoin world, a lot of people think fractional reserve banking is a scam. It's the creation of um, it's essentially a print of the money, and yeah. it presents risk where if, uh, if a bank fails or there's a run on the bank, then people can lose their deposits. But that's such a doesn't happen all that often. It's, you know, It happens, but not all that often. 
if you were if you had full reserve banking, the thing I'm trying to understand would that limit the progress of humans in that does does fractional reserve lending allow us to essentially leverage the leverage the future and have we as humans advanced faster and quicker because we have those facilities yes and um it's the idea of where it goes back to what i said at the beginning about how credit does allow you to kind of get what you want today you have to pay some interest and you have to do some work to pay back that credit right but you can get what you want today by engaging in this credit transaction that is what fractional reserve banking is, but fractional reserve banking is a tough name because really all that it is, that's the business of banking itself. All economists, whether Austrians or neoclassical liberals or any sort of different uh, version, you know, Keynesian, they all will agree if they understand what they're talking about, that you cannot have interest. Like you can't have interest income, interest payments without the fractional reserve. That's just the definition is that you have, let's say people 100% pos deposited based money, and then it just stayed there, base money stayed in the bank, uh, you wouldn't have any lending, you wouldn't have any interest. So it has to be lent out. And it's also not true, just to go another, you know, sort of, uh, sort of bombastic take that a lot of people have, unfortunately, some, some Austrians as well, is that it's not true that the moment that I take a dollar or a pound out of the bank account, take it from my bank, I deposit it into another bank, that bank lend, you know, saves 10 cents of it, they lend out 90 cents, then the next bank saves, uh, you know, nine cents of that, they lend out uh, 81 cents of that, of that next 90 cents, and it like, all of a sudden, we're like flipping into the sun the next day with this crazy fractional reserve stuff. The data is pretty clear that we've never had a system that has been fully reserved, 100% reserved, because it would just be a wealth storage system. It's not a capital market system. It's not a system that, uh, to your question, that transforms uh, other people's savings into real productive capital, whether it being, you know, if I have a collection of pensioners have money, yeah, you want to have make sure they have very safe investments, but maybe some people want to have a little bit more aggressive investments. You take that money that they saved and you put it into, you know, a factory or, you know, whatever. I mean, you, you're pushing savings from one uh, group of people out into the market to generate more productive ca uh, capital and capacity than you otherwise would have had you not engaged in, in the business of banking. So that's all it is. I really don't like the term fractional reserve banking because it's so loaded with quicksand, as my former co-host Fernando always used to say, it's like quicksand. I mean, everybody's just got all these things in mind. All it is is banking. That is the definition of banking. Your money's not there. It's never been there. There's like 10%. It'd have to be a massive vault if they were going to have hundreds and trillions of dollars of euro dollars right now there. And I know that like people that are just learning this stuff, if you're kind of young, starry eyed, trying to, if you're interested in this and thinking about that, the questions aren't to be asked like, Oh, what if everybody run, makes, wants to make a run on the bank? It's just, how do we make the system more safe, more secure, more interesting, more effective and more transparent? I also, there's another thing I loved about the interview with uh, Jeff. You started, you, you started, he started, you asked him like, what makes an, would make an ideal money? He described Bitcoin. He described Bitcoin. And then he says he's not a Bitcoiner. Yeah, he, does, he hasn't grokked it. He yeah. hasn't grokked it. I and, think he's and, close actually. That's good. Um, I hope that he is. And, um, but that, that, that's, that's kind of par for the course for economists. Again, if, not to, if you gave him a wallet with Bitcoin and a digital dollar, yeah. I think he, he would be 90% there. 
uh, maybe uh, even 100% there. And, and he's, that's, he's, he's, he's only, his own issue with Bitcoin is his inelasticity. Yeah. Let's hold off on that still. Yeah. Because, but but that's, the, that's the main issue. That's kind of, that's what people need to, to see with Bitcoin is like, yeah, use it. It's so easy and whatnot. But what you're, all you're doing is you're having a more transparent system. Also, as Friedrich Hayek says, you're getting around what is unfortunately a centralized monopolized system that for hundreds of years has led us to where we are. It's not all bad. The Federal Reserve does know what it's doing sometimes. They definitely don't know what they're doing all the times. And, you know, we can definitely improve on it. That's the beauty of Bitcoin is that it is a beautiful base money where, so I didn't think I quite uh, tied up your question, Danny, from before about, you know, uh, as Jeff was saying, like, is the euro dollar more, and by the way, I always say fiduciary media, is fiduciary media more important, less important? How does it relate to Bitcoin as it relates to the monetary base? They're absolutely two different things, but you, they've always existed. As I've said, as long as you've had money, you've had base money, which is like commodity money, and you've had this other thing, which is credit-based. Absolutely, it's, it's all fiduciary media is credit-based, but not all credit is fiduciary media. So you can have mortgage loans, you can have whatever, and those things don't trade like money at all. They're not money at all. Uh, money is a generally accepted medium of exchange. So again, who's to say that we might not have some other, like I'm not saying this at all, but like we might not have some gift card based thing that works on top of Bitcoin that scales, you know, mm -hmm. alongside lightning or whatever. I mean, you have liquid, you have lightning, you have all these different things. There's all these different ways. So lightning, by the way, is not fiduciary media. We, we should talk about this, about the distinction of what lightning is. But uh, as far as let's make it easy on ourselves. And this again, drives home the point of what is base money and what is fiduciary media. Exchanges, right? Exchanges are basically Bitcoin banks. Everybody should know that by now. I mean, if you kind of, and also everybody knows that not your keys, not your coins, right? We know that. We know that in, at least in the general public doesn't know that. But in Bitcoin land, we know not your keys, not your coins. Okay, so what happens, Peter, when you take your Bitcoin from whatever your hardware wallet, you know, let's not even worry about a node or whatever, just say you send Bitcoin, UTXOs from your hardware wallet, you send it to Kraken or who's your sponsor? Gemini. 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 Okay. So send it to Gemini. All right. And then you see later, uh, Gemini has credited your accounts. That's a key word I just said there. But let's just say, uh, forget I said the word credit. You look at your screen yep. and you see however many units of Satoshis are sitting on your screen. Question, who owns the Bitcoin at that point? Well, uh, ownership is... Um Ownership could be litigated, whereas who has control of it is slightly different. They have control of it. But, they do, they, but, but do they own yeah. it? Yeah, it's an asset on their balance. It's not in two different places. Look, oh, this is where oh, Bitcoin oh, destroys. Oh. Is this where when, like, so with a number of those companies where people look at the terms and conditions, that if they, uh, if they um, you know, go into administration, mm. then the assets become, the your asset becomes an asset of the company. Yeah, but that, that. That, that's just farther downstream of, okay. of a bankruptcy process. So why the, do they own it? Why do they own it? Because it's a I fiduciary it. system and there's only one base money. Base money is not something that can be right. like counterfeited. Okay. I mean, it can be counterfeited, but that, we know that that's not the case. But not your keys. Remember, not your keys, not your coins. You yep. don't hold the keys to that Bitcoin. This, this should explode anybody's, like, if you still think that when you put your Federal Reserve note into a bank, it's somehow your money. It's not. 
the asset on Gemini's books, the moment that you deposit it into their coffers, let's say, right, into their mm -hmm. digital cold storage wallet, it's sitting as an asset for them. And they also have a matching liability, which is your account. Mm. That's called a claim. That's called fiduciary media. That's what it is. Notice, both are money. One is base money. The other is fiduciary media. That's the education that I'm trying to mm. do. That's it. So, so in the Bitcoin world. <laughs> but hold on, let, let's keep okay. going with this one. Just say, like, any other questions with that one? Because you started to talk about bankruptcy. Do you want to talk about bankruptcy or like how? No, no, no. It's just that was purely related to that point. But also, you know, so Rothbard was a big hard money gold guy. He thought fractional reserve banking was fraudulent. Most Austrians today who don't like fractional reserve banking still thinks it causes the business cycle. I disagree. I think the central bank causes the business cycle, but they have distanced themselves from this idea that it's fraudulent because it's the argument's been exploded. There was this guy, Philip Bagus, he's an Austrian and uh, Germany, I guess. I'm not sure if he's actually Austrian, but he was German Austri or Austrian, Austrian. Uh, he was an Austrian, Austrian, Austrian economist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he was an Austrian, Austrian. Is he Austrian? Yeah. I don't know. If he, if he was, he was an Austrian, Austrian. If not, he's a German, Austrian. Too okay. much, too much Austrianism for your, uh, yeah. for your listeners at this point. He made this claim a while back that the moment that we have you know, now forgetting Bitcoin, like we have a base money Federal Reserve note that is cash. The moment you deposit it into the bank, there is somehow this idea that dual property certificates have been created. One was the Federal Reserve note that you had that the bank now has, but also you have a certificate on that certificate. So it's a dual property certificate. It's just, it's mind numbingly wrong as far as accounting works, economics, uh, uh, sort of general moral, ethical, legal business behavior, the way fiduciary media works. There's only one base money in that transaction and it moved. The moment you deposited it, it moved from your asset section of your balance sheet to the bank. The bank now has the asset and now we have created a liability in this transaction. The bank has a liability to you, whereas before it was just your asset, i.e. you're also equity, because remember assets equals debt plus equity. So it was your asset and your equity. You deposited into the bank, it became the bank's asset-based money, and the bank also now has a liability to you. And the, why do they do that? A couple of reasons. They do that for interest, uh, to make a spread, to invest, capital markets, but it also scales payments. That's banking. That's why fiduciary media work. That's why checks, like well beyond even banknotes, which were also great fiduciary media, just, just a note that the bank issued, circulate as cash, you know, we'll collect it. If you want to take some gold, we'll give you some gold. Uh, but checks, bills of credit, this uh, in, in accounting, right? Every business has this accounts receivable, accounts payable. You, you have it running all the time. These are fiduciary media ledgers between uh, you and your suppliers. And the way that you settle that is easy between a bank, a bank payment, no, base money isn't even touched. And that's the majority of the economy. It is, but it doesn't mean that base money is any less important. Bitcoin is absolutely there. So again, try to drill it home because this is crucial. This is crucial to understanding the difference between base money and fiduciary media is when you deposit that Bitcoin into Gemini, you, you, you know, we should all know as Bitcoiners, it's not your Bitcoin anymore. Like it is not, it is on their balance sheet. It's their asset. And then they have a, the Bitcoins that you see on the screen, their liability nobody, nobody ever says, everybody says, not your keys, not your coins. They don't say, what is it then? 
The thing that it is, it's a claim. It's fiduciary media. It's a new type, not a new type. It is a type of money that can trade. If, if Gemini wanted, if, if you wanted to pay someone in Bitcoin, but you didn't want to go to the hassle, let's say, of, I'm not saying it's a hassle, but let's say you didn't want to go to the hassle of pulling out your ledger or whatever, but you knew that one of your suppliers had a Gemini account, hey, let's just settle that transaction within Gemini. That's called an on us transaction, an on us. Okay, so this stuff is ancient. I mean, this is what banks always do. So that's the business of banking. So banking does two things. It works the capital markets. We move capital from savers to, uh, savers, uh, to basically I don't want to say investors because people and savers also investors, but you're investing it with entrepreneurs, move from savers to entrepreneurs that are investing it into the economy, it increases growth. We can have interest on these things. No problems, not illegal, immoral. It works from an accounting perspective. And what was my and? Oh, and it scales, it scales payments. That's the thing that that's, it scales payments. That's, that's fiduciary media. It is a form of scaling payments. That's why it exists both to improve the economy and draw an interest rate, but also to scale payments. So that's the same, go back to the, uh, to the uh, bit refill analogy. Sergey is using fiduciary media, they're using gift cards as a way to scale payments within Bitcoin so people can buy real stuff. It's great, it's fine. And it's not the only way to do it. There's gonna be many, many ways. So that's, I didn't quite answer your question before about what's more important, what's not. I, they're entirely different and distinct. They're both money. One of them is base money. One of them is fiduciary media. They're both generally accepted medium of exchange. There's going to be someone listening to this show who has all their Bitcoin on exchange and all their fiat in a bank who's just realized they've got no money. <laughs> so <laughs> you got a claim. That's, that's you, isn't just it? Tell them what it, is that a confession? <laughs> <laughs> tell them what it is. It is. Call it for what it is. You have a claim. It's not a dual property certificate. It's a claim. There is this, all right, just one more thing. There is this thing called a bailment. It's a minority of, it's always been the minority. That means you pay for this. That's like gold money, Peter Schiff's company. Um, James Turk is a great guy. He's not a, opposed to Bitcoin like Peter Schiff. He's the founder of that company. But um, these are good free market people. You really worried about your gold. You want your gold to be safe and uh, secure, audited twice. You got to pay for the big doors, all that stuff. And you don't want it to be lent out that's not a free lunch. Like that's not a free account. That stuff is pay. The reason it's a free account in the banking system is because they're getting interest. It's lent out. Mm. That's why you can do it. But in gold money, you got to pay a fee. You got to pay. You always got to pay for the big doors, the security, the auditing. So again, that, that's just kind of, that's the point I wanted to make with all this stuff is it's all a generally accepted medium of exchange. You can store it and secure it, but otherwise you're in this thing called the capital markets, the banking system. And once you're in it, you're not trading on base money anymore. You're trading on fiduciary media. And there's not a problem with that per se. But of course, as I alluded to earlier, there is a problem when you have these things called central banks, which have the legal monopolistic power of the state to, they're the ones that can control this thing called modern base money, which is the monetary base, which is cash and coin and, um, and reserves, the master account for each bank. Next up, we have the people behind Sportsbet.io, BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money cannot buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against others and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is definitely the best Bitcoin casino out there. 
And if you want to find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And remember, please gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without ever selling their Bitcoin. And with recent events in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach. They don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation and have experienced zero losses as a result of their strategy. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserve attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. But not only are Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs now. So if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, it is the Pacific Bitcoin Conference hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Corey, Yan, and Brady for years, and they are pulling out all the stops to make the Pacific Bitcoin a celebration of the Bitcoin community. I'm going to be emceeing the conference along with Natalie Brunel and Stefan Levera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers, including Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, and Preston Pish. Now, Pacific Bitcoin is going to have the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences. There's going to be a surfing simulator, and it's going to be loaded with other events and parties before and after the event. They are bringing the brightest minds in Bitcoin in to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation state adoption and mining to lightning. You do not want to miss out on the inaugural Pacific Bitcoin conference. It's going to be a badass event. I'm going to be there. I cannot wait to go. I cannot wait to see you all there. Now, Swan is offering a massive 20% discount to listeners of the show. Just go to pacificbitcoin.com and use the code PETER. That's P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com and use the code PETER. Also, we have Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is. And Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger has recently announced the launch of their new Nano S Plus. And the larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. The Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. And listen, I have been a customer of Ledger since early 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Okay, so the thing I wanted to understand is in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, Bitcoin is the only money. Have we essentially destroyed fractional reserve banking? Why would we? Or will we be, will to have fractional reserve banking in a Bitcoin world, will people be issuing and trading fake Bitcoin that does not exist? Well, let's keep the idea of Gemini. Do you think Gemini, your sponsor, your very important sponsor, do you think they're going to go bankrupt in a hyper Bitcoinized world? Bitcoinized world? I don't think they will. They want to take an opinion. No, I don't think they will. Why? Did, like, are you saying they could or they will? You can always go bankrupt. Yeah, I'm no, not yeah, trying I mean, to be cheeky about no, it. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, of course they could. Do I think they will? No. But I also know at the same time is that you know all their balances 
on all the accounts, they aren't sat there scanning the wallets. Those balances, of course, come from a database. The majority of the Bitcoin will be in a cold wallet with some available mm-hmm. in a pot wallet, so they can issue withdrawals. So, non- so there you go. That's fiduciary yeah. media, and by definition, fiduciary media is fractional reserved. It's not. What is backing? Well, hold on. Is what it, is backing? An Amazon gift card. Yeah, but it's the like, going concern of Amazon. Yeah, but some some companies do their proof of reserves. They actually go through the attestation yeah. to prove they have them. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Kraken's done it. Kraken is it. the most. And I, uh, Ledin have done it. Ledin have yeah. done it on the lending side. Like, yeah, ideally they would all do it. So yeah. that we know there wouldn't be any fractional amounts by these companies. But if I'm if I held a Bitcoin in a wallet on uh, Gemini. It's not, there's not, I know there's not an individual wallet for me. I know these things are commingled or whatever the term is. Sure. Um, yeah. So th- there commingled is. Commingled funds. Yeah. But I, so I, I, so I, I know there's, those aren't real Bitcoin. Like if I go into my wallet on my ledger and I plug it in and I look at the balance, I know that's my balance. Yeah. When I go into my Gemini, it's their balance from a database. Yeah, say it again. It's, you're right. Those aren't real Bitcoins. They aren't real Bitcoins. It's not a problem. But, but they, but but I see it as they, if they did a proof of reserves, mm. they almost certainly should be able to match their liabilities, their claims. Yeah. But do we go to a world where people will lend out uh, from a database, and that database will be transferred? Like I don't. How does it happen? Well, we are in that world now. That's the euro dollar. Yeah, that's of course. Yeah. But that's every bank account. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the bank account. Doesn't matter. M1, M2, M3. Credit cards, by the way, aren't even in any of these M's because that's a database just between Visa and MasterCard. Like, you know, notice when a credit card transaction is paid by a hotel, right? You pay a hotel or your credit card, whatever, or you put your card on hold on credit on a, at a hotel. Notice that nothing happened in the real banking system world. Nothing happened at all. All that happened was Visa and Mas- and or MasterCard or Amex. They flagged. Okay, something's going to happen here. But notice how long that takes to clear. Like, you may not pay Visa, so they got to do their due diligence on you. Visa's always going to pay the, the merchant, right? I mean, as long as they're going concerned. But notice how long that took. That could take 30, 60 days. So that's a credit card. And by the way, credit cards, what, you think they're an M1, M2, M3? I just said it. I don't want to guess it. They're not in any. Okay. Not in any, because when would the credit card payment hit the money supply. It would hit it when you pay the credit card with your real money. With your fiduciary media, with yeah. your bank account, when you pay off. Supposedly. So it's complicated, money. right? Yeah. It's complicated. But no, hold on. You had a this is really good question. Okay, so there's another point to say about exchanges with the idea about proof of reserves and whatnot. First of all, I'm very hardcore Bitcoin on this. I don't care about proof of reserves at all. Like I understand for the average person if they want to think about it, they think it should be important. You want to proof your reserve, hold, hold, your private, hold your private keys. Not yeah. your keys, not your coin. I just don't care about those. Yeah, there, there are ways, no, hold, on, hold on. But also the way that it's confusing or I think the exchanges are kind of talking a big game today is they have a whole other source of income that uh, banks never had. Banks only had one source of income. It was lending money, the interest rate. Exchanges actually have two. They can do the interest rate if you stake. If you stake, you know that they're lending. You're getting paid an interest rate. It's gone. It's, it's lent out somewhere. It's probably speculated on the check coin. But the other, the other form of revenue that exchange has, which has not existed really, I mean, from a, from a retail level, let's say, is that you can, you can trade shit coins as well. So exchanges 
they can talk a big game in the Bitcoin world and do what they do because they have massive amounts of fees from trading crypto. That's certainly different than a US bank or a British bank where mostly we're in pounds and dollars exclusively. Okay, but I'm not a trader. So I can. No, but you understand that point. No, no, it's a, sep a separate question. From an institution. Because when you say uh, you don't give a sh shit about proof of reserves, I'm kind of the same in, in that. Well, I kind of care for Gemini because they're a sponsor. So it's like if they did it, that's good for me as a you know somebody yeah. who's promoting their services. But sure. um, I, I just hold my private keys. But if you're a trader or a whale, you have to have some trust in the exchange you're using because you have to have liquidity on it. So if you're trading a million dollars of Bitcoin mm. back and forth, you can't. You have to have it on the exchange to do that, to be able yeah, to make yeah. those trades. So I think it's important for those. And I don't dispute it. Yeah. Use it, do it. I, I'm saying do all of it, right? It's like energy. Do all of it, all right? This is what the Germans are finding when we get into the Ukraine discussion. But, uh, you know, it, it's, you can't be, you know, just stopping nuclear because you think that it's bad. Do all of it, all right? And so, like, you're going to have problems if you try to limit yourself to one thing. So this is... This just, it's banking. Fiduciary media is the definition of banking. And by the way, uh, stable coins, which we haven't talked about yet. Stable coins. Well, I've got one more question are, before stable coins. Sure, sure. So if you're a leveraged trader, are you essentially fractional reserve trading? Because you're trading with a balance that's of a, Bitcoin that you don't actually have. Yes, you are. That's a separate type of leverage. That's yeah. a leverage that's, uh, we're, we were, I was very, uh, we're very sort of restricting ourselves specifically to say retail banking before, yeah. you know, where are your funds, right? There's a portion of it that's reserved as base money, right? In the bank, in the bank account, yeah. in the, in, the, in the, uh, the central bank, which unfortunately is base money today. Um, but the rest of it is out there in the economy, right? That's, that's banking. Trading is a zero sum game. Um, yeah, you're, you're borrowing money from the institution to buy more crypto, hoping that the market will go up. If the market goes up, you win. If it goes down, you lose your margin and you'll get called with more collateral as well that you had to post before. So okay. it's a difference. If it's a zero-sum game, it's a different. I still uh, got one more question on the fractional yeah, yeah. reserve. But banking is not a zero-sum game. Everybody wins in banking. Of course, everybody, that's, a, that's like the worst thing to say in Bitcoin land, right? And I, I understand why no one would want to believe that. But that's what banks do is they scale payments and... Uh, and they, they work uh, interest, uh, interest investments out, interest-based investments out through the economy. There should and could be Bitcoin-based banks. That's what exchanges are doing right now with staking. Ledin, BlockFi, I know they've been a sponsor of yours, all these, they're already issuing fiduciary media on Bitcoin. It's already happened. It's going to continue to happen. There's nothing stopping it. It's, it's becoming unleashed as we speak. Those, those things are fine. I mean, just do all of it. Yeah, well, yeah, but so hyper Bitcoinized world, Fractional reserve Bitcoin lending. Now, if I go to a, um, if I go to a, I don't know, Bitcoin bank institution, I want to borrow Bitcoin from them. I want that Bitcoin sent to me. But are we, if we go to fractional Bitcoin lending, are we talking about Bitcoin IOUs? Because how can you fractionally reserve something? It's when just you staking. Staking would be the mental model there. So, the bank is promising you a return. The bank takes the money that you invested. They invest it, hoping to get a higher return for themselves. They get a return, which is a gross return. They pay you back the net return, and then they take the spread. It's right. just banking. That's mm -hmm. how it is. Okay. There's okay. nothing mysterious about it. It's not. It all works out legally, economically, accounting-wise. Again, as I said, 
Austrians used to be hardcore in this Rothbardian sense of it's fraudulent. They don't say it anymore. Well, Nick Carter, came, Nick Carter came out recently and talked about this. He put out put quite a strong article. Uh, he didn't need Danny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, do, do the stable coins. Sure. So stable coins is stable coins are uh, the uh, modern equivalent of the euro dollar. So that's all that it is. Um, right. Okay. And it's actually more transparent. It's great. Also, I I I don't have any opinion on like um, some of the current. Uh, views on Bitcoin or Bitcoin versus crypto or stable coins or whatever. I do think it's interesting some of the Bitcoiners that say they like Bitcoin uh, and then they don't mind stable coins, but they really, you know, they hate all other crypto, but they don't mind stable coins. I don't know, just for whatever reason, I, I don't know why they necessarily would say it, but um, it's just like any other project. Right? It's, abs it's, absolutely it's absolutely centralized. Centralized uh, component that is interacting with that blockchain. So Tether, um, right, in the, uh, in the Caribbean, or Coinbase, Circle, I don't even know if Circle's, Circle's not even around anymore, it's just the Coinbase, USDC. No, because Coin. Circle's still about. Cir is Circle around? I think it's still around, but it's the Coinbase. Yeah, yeah. the Coinbase, they were, they started USDC Hot, together. Yeah. It was yeah, a Coinbase Circle. Circle's Jeremy Allaire, right? Yeah, yeah and I mean, okay. they, they okay. just did their own proof of reserves, didn't they? Did they? I, yeah, I didn't yeah. see that. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not obviously following some of this stuff so closely, but USDC, USDT, uh, let's not talk about the USD. <laughs> That's, yeah. uh, but there you go. Uh, yeah. Well, not there you go. That's just another Ponzi. But um, USDC, USDT are absolutely uh, euro dollar analogous crypto projects. So those institutions issue the stables. People buy those stables with real fiat. They take the real fiat. They invest it into securities. They earn a spread on the security, and that's their, pro their profit. Right. So it's absolutely the same type of thing. It's moving money around the capital markets. Uh, is a lot of it, say, speculation type of arbitrage versus real economic growth type of arbitrage? Like, because I think in banking, we should think about e real economic growth, right? Like the Main Street Bank, like what can they do for you? What can you do for them? And I agree, like those are real uh, value-add services. With stables, yeah, it's a bit more speculation, I'd say. And it's also, but, but it's, they're not necessarily, besides TUSD, which uh, as I think Carter as well pointed out, anybody could have seen is a, is a scam. And like, and I, I'm, I'm hardcore Bitcoin on this. I only hold Bitcoin. I don't have a lot of faith in like holding stables for a long period of time. If someone needs to be paid in a stable, great. You can use it, great. But I don't, hold, I don't see a need to hold a stable. But anyway, they serve a function, both from scaling payments and from allowing the company that is issuing the stable to profit, have a profit. And you can see why there are no euro-based stables or yen-based stables. Why would that be? because all of those currencies have negative yielding interest rates okay, yeah. on the main treasuries from their central bank, which is a whole another topic about how the crazy world that we're in, which is because of these central banks. So actually, U.S. is from that side in a, in a fortunate position that they did not let interest rates go negative. Other profit opportunities are arising. And I've said for years, I said for years and years and years, I'm not trying to puff my chest up. This is free real estate. We talk about this. I knew stables were going to be the... Uh, the thing that they were going to regulate first because it was just such low-hanging fruit. Hmm. I mean, CBDCs, so one thing about CBDC, uh, 
Jeff was talking about CBDC and cash. Jeff was saying how cash is not really cash anymore. No one uses cash. It's actually not true at all. Part of the monetary base research I've been doing. Um, remember, one portion of that is the master account, the bank's account at the central bank. The other portion is the uh, is the uh, all of the stuff that we know as cash. All right, the physical cash, cash and coin. Okay, all of it. There's nine trillion dollars of that stuff outstanding. All right, so massive number. I don't know what the market cap of Apple is. If it's a, more than a trillion these days, I think it is. Danny, maybe check it. But let's just say it's a trillion. That's it's nine times that. You might not think it's that huge. Two point seven trillion. All right, so damn, damn that's yes, good work for them. Bit. So it's it's only three x uh, Apple, but it's still a massive number globally, worldwide, nine trillion dollars, and the growth rate is more interesting. How fast is it growing? It grows at 10% per annum since 1970, 10% per annum. That's again, that's a very drilled down weighted average. Yep. That means it's doubling every 7.2 years. Population doesn't double it until every 50 years. So central banks definitely are going hardcore with printing presses. This is money. This is uh, like, it, it's an absolute real thing it's you know low dollar value or euro value cash transactions are crucial around the world for many uh people in the world people in the economy cash is not going away and by the way cbdc's will never work because cbdc's are going to take away deposits from the banking system so nine trillion dollars imagine all the marketing we've heard about cbdc's this is back to what i said about stables being the thing to regulate I, it was clear to me that cbdc's were never going to win uh and again i said that's this like four years ago because, uh, and this is said in all the papers, look, first look at how fast cash is growing, faster than you can even imagine, faster than maybe Jeff Snyder even imagines. It grows at 10% per year and it's $9 trillion. It's a massive number, right? All the different currencies in the world. All right, so that's an addressable market for, well, we'll wrap it here. Hmm. That, that's an addressable market for, um, for, uh, for cash. But if CBDCs can't take, like if that thing's flying, it's growing so fast, CBDCs can't eat into that market, where else are they gonna take it from? They're gonna take it from your retail M1 demand deposit accounts and banks don't want that. Cause if you start, the only place that CBDCs can take money from, if they can't take it from cash, cause cash is flying, right? Remember, this is still the central bank issued currency, same thing as a monetary base. If they can't take it from a, the flying asset that is cash, the only place they can take it from is the banking system. Banks are not going to like that nope. because you're draining bank deposits, which in turn banks use to lend and make money and charge a spread. So it's in all the papers. I'm not saying anything original there. Yeah. It's in all the papers. CBDCs are way hyped. The Bank of Japan just last week said, we see very little use cases for CBDCs to be Good. used at this time. We are not going to work on the CBDC project in the near future. Good. So lots of different points there on cash and money. <sighs> Uh, I'm gonna have to listen back to this one with a pen. Don't be afraid. Of of, paper. Don't be afraid yeah. of fiduciary media. No, fiduciary I'm not. media is all good. Uh, I just need a pen and a piece of paper to go through that. Is that there, there's a lot of different monies <laughs> to understand. Sure. And uh, right, our, our, our lunch has arrived. You hungry? Very hungry. You hungry? Absolutely. Let's man. go eat, man. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate Thank you for that. Me uh, on. Let's just give a shout out to your podcast. Tell me where to go. Yeah, so it's Crypto Voices podcast. Uh, also, in the last year, I have this Porkopolis.io website, which really drills down on the economic stuff probably start doing some YouTube videos soon about all these charts that I obsess about. So definitely be we'll doing that. All right, let's go eat. Thanks Thank a lot. you, brother. Okay, what did you make of that? 
it appears that that Jeff Snyder show I made recently has certainly raised some questions. We're also going to be doing another follow-up. Uh, Nick Bartier, who's been on the show previously, has some thoughts on it, and he's going to be coming on the show very soon to share his opinions. And listen, as I mentioned in the intro, I made two shows with Matthew, and part two covering the Russia-Ukraine conflict will be out next week. Now, if you've got any questions regarding this show or anything else, please feel free to drop me an email on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And listen, for those of you who did not see it, my football team, Real Bedford, smashed it 7-1 on the weekend and we went top of the table. I just want to say a massive thanks to everyone who's been involved in supporting that project and make it all happen. Okay, I'm off. I'm off to go and watch some football now. I will see you all later in the week. <laughs>